Hi, welcome to Drillers Cast. I'm Brock Yorty. As always, I have my excellent host, Dave Bowers, with me. We are live at Dave's house. He just cooked an amazing uh, cheeseburger and salad and, uh, you know, some rice. We had dinner with his family. We talked about the industry and the union. And this is a crossover event. So not only is this a Drillers Cast, which Jake is on Drillers Cast all the time. So it's not really that big of a crossover event. It's not like we got Tony Stark to come hang out with like uh, Batman, but you know, Batman would always bitch slap Tony Stark because he had everything given to him. We have Jake Fletcher with leaders drink last, and we're going to cheers fathers today and talk about the impact they've had. I will let Dave say hello. And then Jake, it's all you, my friend. How you doing everybody? I'm excited today because what Brock said, this is the first time we've actually sat in the same room and done anything together since the beginning of this podcast. Uh, unfortunately, Jake was unable to make the drive from Las Vegas to Chicago today, but uh, it, it's exciting. And, and I love the topic because like a lot of us, I think uh, our first real influence right, that we have that leads us to become the people that we become is our parents and and specifically today we're celebrating dads uh and all three of us happen to be that dad right uh, at different stages which is also exciting and all three of us had dads because we haven't really gotten to that point of the universe yet so you know there is always a you know a male and a female for the most part and that's how uh that's how father's day got to become a tradition it's on to you. Follow that, Jake. Oh, you know, uh, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, I couldn't uh, I couldn't make the drive to Chicago. We're a little busy here in Las Vegas with the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Don't know if you guys are aware. But we uh, the Vegas. that they had ice in Vegas. So, you know. It's a lot of work to keep it going, but it's worth it when you're playing this late in the year. I'll tell you what. So we're, we're excited to be here. It's a uh, good topic. You know, I'm a. I'm a young dad, so I'm, I'm still new to the game, but uh, it's fun. So, Well, Jake, here's the other reason that's really cool today is being this is a crossover, normally in Driller's Cast, it's Sunday morning or Saturday morning early. I don't get to have a beer, and because this is Leaders Drink Last, <laughs> I get to have a beer uh, with my friend Brock and my friend Jake uh, during this podcast. And it's a toast to fathers. So that's another reason for beers. And I'm sure Jake, uh, in a little bit, you'll uh, disappear and come back with a, a nice cold one. Um, you know, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to divert back to, I've met two of Dave's sons today and I've listened to Dave talk about all three and they are men, you know, and it's, it's very cool in the years that I've worked with Dave and listening to different school events and whatnot. And it's what's, what just made my heart feel awesome today was the fact that both sons that came in work in Dave's industry are part of the union are part of 
you know, one's a mechanic and one is a, uh, what is he's a laborer. He's, he's not in our union at this point. He wants to maybe eventually, but he's learning the trade. So, but the exciting thing about that, Blake is or Blake uh, Brock, Blake <laughs> my youngest son. And he had me think about my sons, Brock. The exciting thing about that is that, uh, my sons, we, I took a picture earlier this week. I've had quite a few days, uh, this week that are unusual for me, you know, usually at my advanced age, eight 30 or so I'm, I'm already in bed, but, uh, on Tuesday, my sons asked me if I would go to K one speed with them, all three of them. And we hadn't done anything, all, all of the four of us, anything at all together, maybe one or another to do something, but they all wanted to go do this. So I got home from work. We went out there. And I took a picture. My wife contacted me, say, said, uh, could you take a picture of the boys and send it to me? So I did just them standing together. And because we see them all the time, seeing that picture made her realize, oh, my God, when did they turn into men? Because I'm I'm six, three. My uh, oldest son is probably six, two and a half. And my middle son is six three and a half and uh my my youngest is you know probably six one right now but you know my oldest has a full beard now when you know it was just peach fuzz not long ago and uh the other thing that happened at k1 i couldn't beat not a one of them not a one of them i got crushed Right, I was close to the to the 16 year old. I attribute that. I think I could still drive a better line, but I probably uh, you know given away 80 pounds or so. But the other two, I can't make that excuse, and they were crushing me, absolutely crushing me. But I remember that time when we used to go to the go karts not far from where we are now, and I would have to slow down and let them pass me. And now it's all I could do to just keep them from blowing my doors off, you know? So they grow up so fast and you're proud of them and stuff when they're young, but as they become men and you start to see them emulate you, they never tell them that they don't want to hear they're acting like you, but you start seeing this, this, the seeds you were trying to plant, start to come to fruition and it, at those ages at 21 and 19 you only see glimpses of it but you see enough glimpses that it's like i think we did pretty good you know the fact that that they go to work and they work hard uh you know being a heavy equipment mechanic ain't an easy job working labor for uh, a foundation drill company uh i believe my son when he started his first after his first day when he came home, and I think they, they put uh, 15 and a half hours on him that day. When he came home, he said, uh, this effing job is a living hell. Yet now he comes home and he's like, what'd you do today? Oh, man, we, I'm beat. We did this. And do you like the job? Oh, the job's okay, but I, lo I love the guys I work with. And that's really, you know, that's something show up every day and work hard. And that's all we ask for these industries, you know, construction and drilling, both. All we ask is uh, eight hours pay for eight hours work 
you know, and, and that's what we, we hope to get out of the, the young people we hire. And we hope to make those young people uh, with our kids. You know, um, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. We just had the birthdays for both of them. Brielle was born June 10th, 2016. Bo was born June 9th, 2018. <clears throat> for you guys uh, trying to do the math at home, yes, the weekend or the week of Labor Day, I helped found a beer festival, Leaders Drink Last. Uh, it's not called that. It's called the Burning Foot Beer Festival. <laughs> and I was one of the you know founding breweries that was there. And um, I'd just been married a year to my wife and we were in this amazing phase of our life. And uh, this festival happened and nine months later, a child showed up. They named her the Burning Foot Child, Brielle. And uh, it was a really funny joke that on year two, there's this baby here at the festival and everybody is like, yeah. And, you know, I had, uh, I was working for Jeffco at the time and I, I had left to go work in international project, and um, it was just happen chance that uh, there was a festival and my wife's awesome and didn't happen at the festival. That's that should be didn't happen on the beach or in a Porter John or anything like that. You know, children shouldn't hear stories like that. So then I have a three year old that burning foot year three showed up and uh, nine months later, he came around. And, uh, yes, same story. I was about to go off on another three week adventure and, uh, we had this amazing festival and, you know, beer and music and bonfires. And, uh, this one did not happen at the festival or at the beach either, but yeah, another child showed up. Uh, and so we have two children from a beer festival. I'm proud of that, but what I didn't know as I became a father and, uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey has this brilliant quote. I used it in my most recent Ask Brock. Uh, it's never is a man more of a man than when he is a father. McConaughey goes on to say a father of a newborn. And newborns uh, throw curveballs at us, just like drilling, just like leadership, uh, just like children throw curveballs at us. However, my newborn... Like my three-year-old and my five-year-old, I never thought I was going to be at a point where I would hear, Dad, I pooped. I pooped. I need help. I pooped. And you show up and they assume the position like it's ingrained in their soul that they just bend over and I'm supposed to wipe their butt. Well, Brock, yes, that actually is ingrained in their soul. But... The, the thing that I caught out of that was that, uh, well, two things, actually. First is that everybody has that moment with that newborn uh, when if, if unless you adopt, that, that you have that moment to where you thought you knew you were a confident person, you knew what you were doing. And I had, and I'm sure everybody else has, that first night when mom needed rest and you've got them and you're like, I have no clue what I'm doing. And at the same time, I never thought, at least for my first one, I never thought that I could have a feeling this deep that runs that strong. And uh, it's a terrifying feeling because you're like, who put me in charge of this person? Right. And then it becomes easier because you think back on the people uh, and your dad 
that all the stuff that they showed you did for you, even the stuff at the time that you thought, my God, I would never act like that. And now you find yourself in similar situations to what they found themselves in and you act the same way, or you, at least you try. I always say that, you know, I emulate my dad to the best of my ability, but I fall short because I don't think I do as good of a job as he did. Uh, I hope someday that I will, I will feel that I've, that I've completed things to, to as good as I think he did. Right. Um, but you know, my dad and I, I'm sure the same as you, the same as Jake, my dad never sat me down and was like, your child's going to scream. I pooped or your child's going to say something along the lines of where are you dad? I want you to be home right now. Like those things, those things as we're children, we don't remember. And somehow it's one of those moments where it's, you know, I, I think of the television series wonder years. And when Fred Savage would yell at his dad and the directors would do such a great job of like cutting to his dad, of his dad being like, this loving, wonderful man that's now in disappointment because his child's just yelled at him and you feel bad, you know, but as a kid, I didn't feel bad when I did dumb things like that. And it's, um, it's, it's a unique situation. And I think the construction industry forces us to be rough and tough and to adapt and overcome. But if we took time to think about how we raise children, how we interact with people, how we, we want our children to be treated with respect and, uh, you know, have good work ethic. It's there. And so, uh, Jake, um, you've been married almost a year, right? Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Almost two years. Yeah. I remember we got married before we had. Our oh, that's right. You secretly got married at the golden Knights arena, by the way, that's at the golden Knights arena. Um, and you uh, you stepped it in and blended a family, and uh, like a great leader stepping into a company that's already functioning. How old are the two children that you are now impacting their lives? Uh, when I met them, I, I think our son was eight and our daughter was eleven or twelve. Uh, you know, it's funny. My first interaction with um, sorry, you know, the cat is always trying to get in the picture. <laughs> um, my first interaction, I, you know, the first time I ever met, <clears throat> uh, my son, you know, I walk in the door, I'm getting ready to take Jess on a date. And this kid is at the top of the stairs and he's in his underwear and he's looking through the bars on the stairs down at me, like one of these cats. And he's like, hi. And it was like a very, you know, um, I don't know, apprehensive. He was like, who is this guy that's coming into our house? You know, and it was very, it was funny because, you know, it's a funny memory now, but I just remember looking up there and thinking, oh man, you know, am I ready for this? And, and, uh, you know, since then, you know, Colt is now, uh, 10 and our daughter is 14. And, uh, you know, I've talked about on leaders drink last, we talked about coaches and, uh, you know, 
my son now is playing baseball and playing sports. So I get to be a part of that and, uh, you know, watch him grow. And it, it's a lot of fun because now we're like two, we're more like two good friends. And that's how I always, you know, when I imagine myself becoming a dad, I always wanted to be super close with, with a son and, you know, we sit and we debate about sports. I mean, this whiteboard back here last week before this hockey series started, you know, my son's telling me Shea Weber has got this crazy 110 mile an hour slap shot. And we came down here on the board and I drew it up for him. And I said, this is why I think the Knights are going to win. He drew the lines back and he said, this is why I think it's going to be a lot harder of a series than you think. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Um, you know, so it's definitely a unique challenge. Not everybody uh, can step into a situation like that, but I'm a pretty adaptive guy. You know, adaptive is my word. So, um, you it know, something – sorry, I just want to step back. Something you guys said was, uh, um, you know, Brock, I think you said it. your dad never sat you down and said these things. You know what my dad said to me? He said, you know what, all this stuff that you – were a pain in the ass to me about one day you're going to get it paid back to you. And so I, you know, it hasn't been as much as uh, he might've hoped, but I've certainly, I've certainly had some situations where I felt uh, compelled to call my dad and say, I'm sorry for doing that to you. Well, Jake, I I don't want to burst your bubble. Wait, (laughs) right. The ages you gave, you don't have problems yet. Yeah. Right. That as they get older and, and really the, your, your daughter maybe is, is about the, the age where you're going to start seeing a few things that, that you're like, oh man. And, but that being said, uh, I applaud your ability, your willingness to take on that challenge because my, my brother, uh, adopted uh his wife's son and uh you know there was some some contention there for a little while and uh at some point my dad sat down uh now a different situation than, than what you were in where the guy just he just wasn't around wouldn't do anything with him and the the son made the made the mistake of saying in front of my, my dad, my real dad. And my, my dad sat him down and, and I think I've told you before, he was uh, a rather imposing gentleman. And he sat him down and he goes, let me explain to you what your real dad is. Your real dad is the guy that's, that's making sure that there's food on your table. That's, that's making sure that you have everything you want. That weighs a, lays awake at night trying to make sure that you have what you need. That's your real dad. Anybody could be your biological father, but your dad is the man that's stepping up. And uh, I know that's not everybody's situation, but it takes, it takes uh, some fortitude to step into that position and want to be that dad. You know, and I think it's important. um, And I may overstep here, but, you know, Jake's situation, um, his wife uh, was happily married and there was a tragic moment. And uh, he, the gentleman was no longer part of this world. And then years later, here comes this awesome guy, one of my best friends in the world. You know, just 
this idea of this 28-year-old kid who talks adaptive leadership and friendship and like being, you know, being able to see vision and stuff um, is one of the smartest, like just full of smart wisdom. And I, I at 28 didn't get what Jake got and uh, for what he's done. And he's laughing now and he's, it's because he's, he's a, he's a bashful dude, but like, you're a good man, Jake Fletcher. And uh, I'm damn proud to uh, know you as a husband and a dad and uh, part of two podcasts. And uh, we'll go on to the leadership aspect now. But for everybody out there trying to speculate and figure out how what happened or if this uh, good looking 28 year old playboy just showed up one day (laughs) and this kid in his underwear is like, who are you? That's not the case, you know, and Jake stepped in and blended and mended a family and has been wholeheartedly part of it and uh, should get the dad medal of honor just for that aspect right there. You know, I always say, I always tell my family that they adopted me, you know, because I was just this lone, lone guy. And, uh, you know, I, I needed them probably more than they, you know, they had a functioning unit. I mean, my wife is a pretty strong person. She holds everything together. I mean, you know, if I hadn't been come around, I mean, I, I don't like to go down that road, but she probably would have held her own. But, you know, I, I needed this family and, uh, it's important to me. It's, um, you know, it, and it, I treat every day as a learning experience. I mean, every, I learn something new every day. And, uh, I think that's all dads can do is, you know, it's like everybody says, there's no instruction manual and there's no, you know, I've had that moment, Dave, where I'm like, man, who, who ever thought that I like, who put me in this situation? <laughs> Cause you know, um, but it's fun. It takes a lot of patience, takes a lot of, you know, I, I equate being a dad to exactly what my leadership style is, is it's more about adapting myself to my kids and trying to understand how best to connect with them rather than uh, forcing them to, you know, it's about developing mutual respect and not forcing them to uh, do what I want. You know, my dad was very much uh, hardcore on me and, um, you know, that part of me will always be important to me, but going through that growing up, you know, I mentally, I told myself, this is not how I want to do it. You know, I want to do it different. And so I took the good from what I learned from my dad and I, I adapted it to my own thing. And uh, I'm, I'm still ever appreciative of my parents and everything they did for me. I had a little different experience. My dad was, was hard on us growing up. And my friends would say, you know, Oh man, your dad is, is so rough, but, but why Dave, what was his profession? He was a drill instructor for 13 (laughs) of the 30 years that he was in the, in the army, but, um, he was rough, but like when I got in trouble, which happened a lot, when I got in trouble, I understood every rule that was involved there was never a gray area it was this or this and so when i screwed up and got in trouble i always felt well that was the choice i made i knew what was going to happen i i knew what was going to happen so i didn't have that big of a and then once i became a father 
I want to be their friend, but never at the expense of parenting. And uh, there's a lot of times where you have to make that choice. Am I going to, especially as they get older and, and they put themselves in some positions to where you're like, you have to make the choice. Do I let them continue what they're doing, knowing what the outcome is going to be, which is what a lot of times a parent would do. You go, okay, this is going to work out bad. Or do I try to adjust it? And sometimes it's hard to do to watch them make the mistake that you know is going to lead to something. But, you know, you have to walk that tight rope, whether it's going to be something that, that winds up bad. And hope it works out for the best hope that you've, you've laid down the foundation that, that you're trying to lay down, you know, because it is construction. We're constructing human beings, right? We start early on, they grow by themselves. We don't have to building blocks, but their mental stability, their attitude towards life, the way they conduct themselves, we have to build. Some of that's going to come from within them, but, much of it is their surroundings and in the way that uh, that they're brought up and the way that you show them how to do things. And I truly believe I became the person I became because of my upbringing, because of uh, the respect that I had for my father. And as I got older, I realized he was a softy, right? The rules were hard. The rules were that was what it was. But he had such a soft spot for so many things, and he would bend over backwards for anybody as long as it, they didn't screw him at some point. Once they did, if they did that, then okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that for you anymore. But, uh, you know, I learned, and you'll have, find this hard to believe, Brock. He had a hard time in a social situation staying serious for any period of time. I don't know if that sounds like anybody you know, but uh, I learned that one of the, my favorite things he ever did, and he, uh, my wife, uh, God bless her, put up with so much. She wanted to be a doctor when we were first. She was she was in pre med, get ready to go. She wound up in the dental field. She decided she couldn't do blood but my dad was by that time was a diabetic and he took a shot every day so he so he says uh to her well you're gonna be a doctor you want to get you want to give me my shot and she's like sure so the needle touches him he screamed like he was dying she jumped about three feet right and the, he thought that was so funny now you know this, this man cut, I watched him in one of our hobbies, we were made radio control airplanes, cut the entire back of his finger off, look at it and go, damn it, and get a paper towel and put on it and go, yeah, we got to go to the doctor. That was the only reaction we got. A needle touches him, he screamed like he was dying. It was, and then laughed for about five minutes, right? But those are the types of things. It that you remember, right? My, my wife constantly, uh, we see an evening like tonight and the sunset is, uh, kind of that, that pinkish color. 
And there she is behind us. Uh, that pinkish color. And my dad always told my sons when they would ask him what his favorite color is. He'd say sky blue pink. It started as a joke. And they said there is no such thing. So one day he waited. We were there a little late in the night. And you got that that pinkish sunset. And he took him by the hand. He brought him outside. He said, see, sky blue pink. Right. And so ever since then, anytime uh, since he's passed, anytime we see uh, that color in the sky, uh, you know, we always think that my dad's watching. It's, you know, Jake, you said something about leadership and um, parenting and one, the construction industry we bond differently than say accountants and administrators because of the whole blood, sweat, and tears, the, the difficulty of something it's, you know, construction industry makes us into a team regardless if we want to be or not, because there's lots of stuff that we have to overcome. And I can say that every great leader I've had, I've saw qualities of my father or I've saw qualities of John Wayne, or I've saw these qualities of, you know, inspirational leaders, but mostly I've said, I could sit and have dinner with this man right now or woman, and they're going to make me a better person when I'm done with dinner. You know, and that's, that's being a dad, you know, and it's a sky blue pink. Uh, ironically enough, when I was a director and I was trying to teach my crew to understand how important it was for us to all to come together for this big production we were going to do. And we had four or five weeks to put a play together. Uh, every scene I ended, I wanted to have that blue at dusk. So I never said sky blue pink, but I, I, when it's summer and it's 10 o'clock and it's still daylight. And then the sun drops out and that blue you see before you start seeing the, the clouds with the shadows, there's something about sunsets and finishing a day and knowing that like it's time to rest and you've, you've done all you could for the day that great leaders recognize and your father being a great leader. That's, you know, one of those cool things. And it's, um, it's father's day, but, if we don't recognize in leadership when we're in the field, if we're drilling or we're leading anything that those people are a form of our children and that we need to leave them better than they were when they started with us, we're not doing it right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you have to approach it as when you are the leader, you're responsible for the people that are on the team. You know, whether you whether you like them all or not, you're still responsible for them. Um, and that's how that's why I enjoy working with kids, not only, you know, being around my own kids, but like coaching youth sports, uh, working with kids at church, you know, stuff like that. I enjoy it because not only did I have a lot, did my parents, you know, put so much into me as a kid, I my entire community, you know, uh, I really feel like I was raised by a village because, you know, when I, when I graduated from somewhere, I, I accomplished something, you know, an entire 
community of people reached out to me because my one, my mom tells everybody everything because moms do that, you know? Um, but you know, I, I treat it like that, you know, um, I, I enjoy giving back because people in life gave so much to me and it's important to do. Um, and it, it's important, you know, there's so many kids out there that are in different situations with parents and things and, you know, volunteering your time or even just leading your team. You don't know what someone else's situation was. Maybe somebody on your team didn't even have a, a dad growing up and you have the opportunity by being a good leader to be that kind of influence in that person's life. And maybe you don't even interact with them for the rest of their life. Maybe it's just that one experience, but that one experience could create a ripple effect across their life that you won't even know about. And so that's the neat part about leadership and teams, uh, whether it's, you know, youth uh, baseball, little league baseball, or if it's, you know, you're leading a drilling crew in the middle of the nowhere in the world somewhere, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all, uh, it's all relevant. And parenting is just a smaller, you know, being a dad is a smaller version of all that. You know, to me, a lot of people always ask, you know, how do I, how can I be a, learn to be a good leader? You know, that's a whole debate people like to have is whether you're born with it or you learn it. You know, I say if you're a parent, that's the number one, that's the breeding ground, you know, right? Like that's where it can start. Is if you want to be a great leader, look at your own household, you know, and and take in what's going on in your household and evaluate yourself, you know, and obviously talk to your partner because that's a good feedback right there. If you're doing something wrong, that person that you're married to probably will let you know, right? So uh, being a parent is awesome. It's it's so much fun. Well, I think that, you know, everybody can carry leadership a little further. They don't have to be in command to be a leader, right? That next guy that can take somebody under their wing and help them grow in their career, whether it's the entry-level guy who who's shoveling a mud pit and, and you pull him aside. Okay. Yeah. Hey, you're doing a good job. Uh, make sure you, you watch this, make sure you watch that. And we'll give them, it's not, maybe not their job, but they'll, when they see it's necessary, they'll try to give them a break. Right. I used to tell my, I, I ran drills for years. Uh, I used to tell my helpers, my job is to do everything uh, they can't do and pull levers. So, if I see that they're tired, struggling, whatever, I'm going to jump in and try to make it happen uh, for them because we have to work, you know, it's still a team. And it doesn't matter that if I'm in command, not in command, you can have a multi-tiered team. If that guy that's been there six months can help the guy that's learning correctly, he can show leadership. Just by, uh, or the guy, that brand new guy, go, man, you know what? It's supposed to be 100, it's 105 heat index, and we haven't had water, and I see that Johnny is really struggling, but uh, the person that's in command hasn't noticed yet. Maybe I should tell John, hey, man, take a break and say something. So, hey, can, let's give him some water, put him in some shade, right? That's still leadership. And we have to get past in the construction industry and in the drilling industry, the barriers that um, are in front of us to be good leaders, right? Because experience can be a barrier. 
I, if I'm the inexperienced guy and, and Brock is the experienced guy, I, the, it seems legit. Not really. (laughs) Uh, it might be that I'm afraid to tell Brock something. So Brock could just display leadership by being open with me and trying to make sure that, uh, everybody's opinions are heard, right? Those are easy things to do that all come back to leadership and all uh, wind up increasing production on construction and drill jobs. And really, you know, we're after, we're celebrating fathers, but this is driller cast, right? We want to make holes in the ground or leaders drink glass with them. Fine, they can do some construction stuff, which comes, you know, after the real guys have worked. But, uh, uh, but anyway, we, we want to make production so that we can feed our families, make a little money so we can keep a roof over our heads and have those, those weekends, Sundays, uh, you know, week, weeks off where we can go to the lake or go to the beach or go, in my case, fly radio control airplanes, uh, you know, and do those things or go and uh, watch our, our team uh, perform at a high level, uh, or not in, in some cases. So, uh, you know, that's what it's really about. And if we all strive to be the best leader we can be, we're going to make the companies we work for more productive. We're going to be better fathers. We're going to be better people. We're going to produce better people. What's crazy is if we thought about every action in a role, in a job site, in a conference call, in a meeting, that what I say right now or how I treat this person right now, they're going to look me in the eye as they pass the mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. We would all be better leaders. You know, um, This week, uh, Jake, Dave, and I all write for the Driller Magazine, BMP Media. Um, I started, accidentally, I emailed the editor and said, I have this great story about being in the Atacama Desert. And And I said, you should interview me, and it would probably be a good story. And he said, why don't you write it? And I've, I, uh, deer in the headlights look because I enjoyed writing, but I had a boss who decided to take my first, you know, article, not maybe 90 minutes from where we are right now. And his, uh, his wife was a middle school, uh, you know, English teacher and he murdered me on my first article. And I was writing an article in excitement about the industry, not thinking that I needed to have something polished. I needed to give him excitement and content, right? You know, that's what I was thinking about. When we're in the field and we're looking at people, we're not thinking about how we're a classically trained leader. We're thinking about how do we get done what we need to get done? And it it stinted me. I would say it was 2008 when I wrote the first geothermal article for the Michigan Groundwater Association. I didn't write another one until 2013. And at that time, I didn't think I should write it because of that leader's influence, not thinking of every time he saw me at Thanksgiving and I handed him the mashed potatoes, you know, maybe I'm a creative person. I fast forward 
I'm writing. I enjoy what I'm doing for the magazine. It's this, it's rewarding to get to contribute backstories to our industry. And I drag Dave in. And later he drags Jake in. I do. I do. And so this week, Jeremy, our editor, uh, Drilling Insight, another podcast that I, uh, I'm i on, you know, one of uh, 47. No, no. This is, <laughs> the new thing is this. Part of the Broad Podcast Network. Very true. <laughs> Jeremy sends me this text and he goes, Jake Fletcher's June and July articles are performing better than your articles. And uh, I texted back, really? And he said, what do you think? And I said, it's awesome. And he goes, okay, that's, you know, that's, uh, I thought this would challenge you. Maybe you would start writing better stuff. And I was like, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with what I'm writing right now. You know, and maybe the dog in the background doesn't think so. But at the same time, I thought to myself, the only reason Jake contributes right now is because I poked him in the side several times and said, hey. Actually, what you said is you should write that. The same words as somebody said to you. I told you about something one day and you said you should write it and send it to to Jeremy. And I did. Actually, you sent it to me. And yeah. you said you thought it was going to be part of Driller's Tribe with Dave and I. And Dave's yeah. like, wait, we should stop giving all our content to the magazine. Wait, <laughs> well, here's, a, here's what really happened. There's a couple things that happened. Brock, you got it? Yeah. Brock, you were ahead of your time in 2008. You thought excitement and content. That's not the magazine. That's podcasting, right? Excitement and content. That's the art. We don't know what we're going to say. We're going to try to talk about the industry. Sometimes we don't get around to the industry in an hour, right? We'll talk peripheral about it, but that's podcasting. What, what impresses me with writing is that you can come up with as many ideas and write as, as fluently as you do because I typically sit there two days before my deadline and go, what the heck am I going to write about? Now, I write only safety articles for them because someone else pays me to teach drilling. Uh, and to me, that's a conflict of interest. I can't teach, write something that would be considered instruction while someone else is paying me uh, to do that. So that's why I, I only write safety. Uh, but it is daunting to try to figure out what can I write? And I've only been doing it two years. What can I write? I didn't write before. Take a new spin. And I find it always comes back to my experience. I have, I have 20 years of well, more now, I guess near, near 30 years uh, of experience in the field before I started writing. And so I typically just, try to pull something that happened to me and how does that relate uh, to something that I've seen recently? Uh, just, it's not out yet. Next month will be a confined space thing. And when I, when I started doing a little research on 
how we've done on confined spaces. Uh, research done in 96 through 98 and research done in 2018, 2019. We've done... We've done uh, worse for safety in confined spaces uh, recently than we did back in the in the mid '90s, and it doesn't make any sense, right? Because we seem like we, we always talk about safety culture, safety culture, safety culture, but if we're not getting better, then it's a sham, right? We're not, we, we have to do something to let our people go home at the end of the day, the same way they showed up. Uh, and construction is, uh, especially excavation. Um, you know, excavation is one and a half times more dangerous than any other trade. My, my son, the one we talked about, back to the little bit of the Father's Day thing. Working as a laborer, this is kind of back to being parenting. Getting in that job as a laborer for a foundation drilling company, knowing all the things, because he's going to be on the ground that could go wrong, is terrifying to me. Yet, I have to, you know, I have to to tell myself, we. I raise someone who's intelligent that hopefully will listen well, that will do his best, keep his, do what I tell him, keep his head on a swivel, because so many things can go wrong. And I have to assume that, that uh, he's going to do a good job of it. So, um, you know, I, I really think that writing is cathartic. It can, it brings a lot. I don't know what I'm right about, but by the time I'm done, Oh, hey, this is going to wind up having to be a three-part series because I got on a roll. Kind of like when I talked drones, right? I got on a roll and uh, went on 20 minutes. Uh, but I think that that's, that's a big uh, that's a big thing to be able to, to write something down. And, and even if you don't publish it, write down your thoughts about something about your company what can you do better what is your 10 year plan you know people talk about it have you ever actually wrote it down and tried to think okay this is really what we want to try to do so you can achieve it uh, all those things are, are really important and the things that that I think that more people should should attempt to do uh, what do you think Jake yeah I think uh, <clears throat> you know it's funny you say that about your uh, thinking about your articles because uh, you know, one way I approach it and, you know, I think this is how you, especially when it comes to safety, you know, we, we do always talk about culture and one, one thing is, you know, to get buy-in is you have to make it something that is um, something that people can get passionate about, something that they can get involved in. Um, you know, when it comes to leadership, I always tell people, especially when I'm mentoring people is, I look around when I, not even when I'm at work and I think about leadership and just as I'm watching, like I, you know, there's a hockey game on the other room. I could look at a hockey game and I could come up with something to write about leadership based on the outcome of a hockey game. I could watch an episode of family guy and I could probably come up with a leadership lesson. 
Absolutely. Actually, I've done it. I've done it in a mentoring session where I used Family Guy as a leadership lesson. And the point is, is that, you know, instead of taking these, you know, I've seen people do it where they take lessons and they, you know, they, and, and Brock's good at this, you know, he takes lessons and he makes them fun, right? That's one way to do it. But also it's about building, whether it's safety or leadership or whatever it is, it's taking it and building it in someone's mind as, okay, this is not just some boring subject. This is something that's interesting and something that I should look for, not only when I'm at work, but, you know, when I'm out and about, like safety, probably should pay attention to traffic when I'm crossing the street, right? You know, I mean, that's inherently built in us from our parents, obviously, Uh, you know, going back to Father's Day and parents. But, you know, what if somebody's on their cell phone and you happen to be paying attention, you stop somebody from walking across the street? Well, that that's that safety mentality that's built into you. And, you know, if we learn to uh, make it, whatever our topic is more enjoyable for people and, and what makes it easier to come up with things to write with or, or how I do it is that I'm always looking at things around me and thinking, where's the leadership lesson in this? You know, because I write about leadership every month and, and that's how, and I have a little notebook at my desk and I write down stuff cause I'm forgetful at my ripe old age of 29 um, I've got the memory. Yeah. I've got the memory of my dad already, which I think he actually just, I think he plays that he can't remember anything just because he thinks it's funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's all about making, and that's what good leaders can do is, you know, you can take something that's seemingly normal and make it something that's extraordinary to people. Maybe, maybe not extraordinary. You know, I don't know that anybody ever is ever going to say safety is extraordinary. I think it's important. We think it's important, right? But, you know, but that's a, a goal to aim for, Dave, is, you know, let's make safety extraordinary to people. I, uh, like what you just said, Jake, punched me in the gut. Um, <laughs> I, didn't mean right, I didn't mean to. <laughs> right now, uh, so my kids turned three and five, right? And for their birthday, um, they got bikes. They got real bikes with pedals and training wheels. And I will say this because the hipster universe right now is putting children on balance bikes. Balance bikes have no pedals. And the kid just walks around sitting on the seat with his feet down. My son adopted it. My daughter thought it was weird. It, she's a little bit too tall. It just wasn't right. The son thought it was great. I put my son on a 14-inch bike with training wheels. He's riding all over the place. Things are great. We moved to a little bit of an incline. He goes down the incline, hits the curb, goes head over end with his Yoda helmet, baby Yoda helmet on, crashes, jumps up. And in parenting, there's this psychological warfare where you go that was the most awesome thing i have ever seen oh my god you got shot out of a cannon and he's like jumps up brushes himself off he is just like yeah i got shot out of a cannon and i'm thinking he's got all his teeth i mean they're they're disposable teeth right now right like he's got he's got teeth that are coming later that are more important but this worked out you know and uh they got so we went to this church parking lot and it was in the shade and my kids rode for two and a half hours on a flat 
surface. And we talked about these bikes that I picked up had handbrakes and, uh, you know, uh, and foot brakes and both my son and daughter became competent. And then on Monday, they said, dad, dad, we want to go for a ride at our house. I said, great. Uh, they, they go, we want you to ride your, and I have a great big fat tire mongoose that I love to ride. I'm a fat guy. So I can't have a bike that weighs like seven pounds. I need a bike that weighs 39 pounds and doesn't flex when I get on it. And I, I look at it and I got my helmet on and I, I kept my helmet on and I went, you know what guys, um, I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you today. And they both were upset. They wanted to ride with dad, but I'll tell you what. I've been working a lot in safety for, um, for my company right now as things are shifting and whatnot and walking those two children where one, the universe has decided to not know which side bike riders are supposed to be on. If you're in a bike lane, you ride with traffic. If there's no bike lane, you ride against traffic. Some people just shake their hands at everything. Some people drive down the middle of the road. So it's really hard to teach children right now what's the right way to ride a bike, you know, no different than safety and construction from what things are to what things is. And when cars would come, I, there, my son had gotten really good at riding where I'd have to yell, stop, grab him. I scolded him a couple of times pretty hard, you know, or where I grabbed the bike and pull him up, you know, on the road where there, there was no sidewalks where we were. And the universe is also texting and distracted, no different than our job sites. Dave brought this point up earlier about the 90s and safety versus today. And I think the digi digital distractions we have today have increased our accidents from physically on-site, mentally not, I'd say tenfold. And so as parents, we don't want our kids to get our teeth knocked out. But when we have that moment of near miss, we can't look at our employee and go, oh, my God, that was awesome. You almost had your fingers cut off, but you didn't high five because you can. You know, it's that moment of going, oh, we can't let that happen again. You know, this is not a safe choice. My son says often, that's not a safe choice, Dad. That's not a safe choice. And so I look at those situations and I think, again, as leaders, if we really, instead of just saying our company is family, our colleagues are family, we want you to go home to your family, if we believe that, because safety is a facade right now. And I said this to Dave earlier and he chuckled and I'm always looking at, you know, facade culture or, you know, buzzwords that I feel that are things that are going on right now and why I got to make things exciting and encouraging on a safety aspect to my children it's because I don't want them to wrap the blind string around their neck. I don't want them to play with a plug-in. I don't want them to go out the front door and think it's okay to wait for the mailman at the curb because we know a package is coming. And then I can translate that immediately to, I don't want Tyler to use an unguarded grinder. I don't want Jimmy to jump down in a confined space with no air quality monitor. I don't want 
Brian to climb with an outdated harness and an old six foot lanyard. And you know what? The only reason that I'm a competent safety professional right now is because of Dave right next to me and the union and how much the union has held the scrutiny of safety again, because of the blood, sweat and tears and the brotherhood and sisterhood of being part of something more than just a company is important, you know, and it's, that's what, you know, Father's Day isn't about, you know, having to be somebody's parent and call them at 630 in the morning and make sure they're there at seven. But Father's Day, 100% is recognizing other people have families and that they need to go home to those families. And somebody's, some that's somebody's son. That's somebody's daughter. That's, you know, those aspects. Well, I, I'd like to touch a little bit about, about, you know, you saying the reason you're a competent safety guy, I, it's just like Jake was saying. I am a competent safety guy because my mentors, Glenn Minyard, Robert Harold, uh, Chris Tomlin, right, led me to that path. They led me to show me the right, the right way and how to and how to do those things and. Uh, I'm blessed enough that I have friends that call and ask me questions and, you know, I have the resources to give the answers because those people have showed me the way. Uh, I don't know everything there is to know, but what I know is that if we strive to make a safer uh, work site, We'll also have a more productive work site. That's that's something that you know a lot of people worry about. They want to sacrifice safety in the interest of uh, a second or two, right? To become more more competent, you can do both. You're more productive when you're safe. Uh, when you when you go ahead and you take that risk. Any anything that happens uh, near miss or worse than near miss takes and detracts from that entire team. That entire team. If somebody gets hurt, they go, "Oh man, oh, we're gonna we're gonna do that." I, I'm gonna go back to the trenches. There's a gentleman uh, by the name of Patrick Walters uh, who worked for a sewer and water company. I don't know where it was. It was small sewer and water company uh, out east. And he had nightmares every night. He was a bottom man. He was a laborer. Had nightmares every night. Don't know if they were union, non-union. Uh, it's a case study that, that I know from OSHA. Um, that he would get trapped. And one day he did. Because... The company wasn't doing things right because, you know, it's going to take an extra little bit of time to put a box in. Oh, you know, we just got this little bit that we're going to open cut. You'll be all right. And what did they save? They saved a few seconds here and there, a few minutes here and there. And then that company lost uh, a worker, the person, the, the person that, that made that decision has to put that somewhere 
right? You have to you have to store that. And too many times when an accident happens, it becomes a multi-person accident, not at the job site, but someone who should have, whether it be that leader, that foreman, or the person on the crane or the person on the on the uh, machine or the person who believes they should have said something has to put that somewhere and they wind up uh, drinking or worse, taking their own life because they, they just can't deal with they didn't save. Because uh, every crew I ever worked on was less than eight people. Whether you liked them or didn't, those were your, you spent more time with them than you did with your family, right? Uh, same, you know, on, on a construction site, it's the same thing. Most companies, most crews are relatively small. You see them all the time. When bad happens, we have to uh, realize that it affects more than whoever gets hurt. You know, uh, luckily, uh, my career has been relatively injury free. There's been some some small stuff that has happened, but every time it happened, there was something I should have noticed beforehand, or I decision I should have done differently that led to somebody getting hurt. And I made sure I learned from that. But man, uh, to be a good leader. You know, you've got to be willing to take the hard choice and do it maybe the way that seems harder, but it's safer because in the long run, we're going to be more productive. And, you know, I, I, I think really that's, that's the mark of a real leader, taking the hard path, taking the path that's, a, that's quite not as easy, that maybe won't get the immediate buy-in, but you can guarantee that everybody's going to go home uh, healthy and happy. Uh, I think that's the mark of a, of a good leader when it comes to construction. You know, and that's, it's the mark of a good parent of a good father. Uh, that it's, you know, we're going to move to that 501 moment for those that are part of, uh, drillers cast and doesn't know Dave, uh, that, uh, not Dave, Dave's my host in uh, drillers cast, but Dave is going to be part of, Today's 501, Jake and I, leaders drink less because, you know, responsibility requires us to just dedicate a little bit more time before we get that moment of reprieve. And that that reprieve could be leaders bike last, leaders, you know, watch, you know, pay-per-view, you know, uh, uh, hockey. Hockey last. Yeah, we could have went any direction in that, you know, or, you know, we toast, you know, and so we, you know, we open a beer and we toast our people, we toast processes, we toast, you know, uh, execution on a good project. And we, we got our beers today. Uh, Dave and I are drinking a strawberry milkshake IPA uh, because Dave has strawberry Hair, the hurtful. <laughs> Very you know what I I learned in college in an anthropology class that you know the the recessive gene of the auburn or ginger hair was you know something that was uh, I wouldn't see by the time I retired or you know it would be much more rare. It's not true. Dave has an entire family full of uh, 
gingers that are going to take over the construction world. So we're just fine there. It's, <laughs> it's only three, right? It's Yet. only three of them. Oh, uh, no. This is the other thing. You brought up the, the Burning Foot Festival. My wife, after I told her the story of that both her kids were born after the Burning Foot Festival, but you invited us this year, was horrified. She's like, hell no, I'm not going there. We're done. But uh, no, in any case. Um, so the 501, the 501 today, I want to toast dads. I'll start this so you guys got some time to think. You know, my father, my grandfather, you know, put some pretty big knowledge on me. Um, one of them was the fact that what you're doing today doesn't have to define what you do tomorrow. My dad was a Vietnam vet, went to, um, was drafted, ended up that he had a pin in his knee and didn't have to be drafted, had the pin removed, went anyway, ended up doing some heroic stuff and got the Navy cross spent 11 months in the great lakes Naval hospital because of those situations and uh, came back, started a drilling company, married my mom. They've been married 50 years right now, 51 in December. Uh, very smart, sane guy for everything that he experienced that was never part of my universe. Um, there were times where things, you know, processes on jobs didn't go the way they should. And, you know, stakes get, got risen and discussions were heated, but on the ride home, he'd always have a moment of debrief and would talk about what happened and what we're going to do next. And when we shifted from, cable tools to rotary he handed it to me and said do it you know and uh that was a big deal that he he trusted his sons to go out and execute with a brand new piece of equipment that was uh could make or break the company and uh i'll let you guys go all right i'll i'll start uh you know i'll i'll toast to my dad uh, as I said, career military man, uh, lied when he was 16, 1945, 16 years old, said, I'm 18 years old. I'm going, went, uh, did not see any, any combat in world war two, uh, but then stayed for the next 30 years and, uh, through Korea, through part of Vietnam, I think Vietnam was, uh, was a little bit of the end for him. Not politically. He couldn't understand why you would not allow the military to fight a war. And that that's what bugged him because he thought that they were sending, their hands were tied and they're sending kids over there uh, with their hands tied and it's not going to have a good outcome. And I think that's what his, what his uh, problem was at the end. But, um, but then... Uh, when he got out, went to work uh, at Cat Tractor, uh, working uh, on an assembly line for years, becoming uh, the the uh, inspector for that 
assembly line, quality control. And what he showed me was just work ethic. You know, you, you, you get the job done no matter what it takes. And I think I, I tried to carry that through. But at the same time, I mentioned it all, uh, before, he was also the guy that uh, every single uh, kid in the neighborhood, every single uh, person, if something needed to be fixed, needed to be, they brought it to Johnny. Johnny will fix it. Right? Uh, my mom tells a story about uh, a gentleman, Jeff Linden, lives across the street from us, who was like three, whose dad was an operating engineer, uh, just like I am, a capable man, wound up running his own sewer and water business for years and years, uh, had a, a broken uh, wheel on a tricycle. And he's wheeling it. His mom said, and they lived across and down the street from us. His mom said, where are you going? And she said, well, I'm taking it. He says, I'm taking it to Johnny. So Johnny fix it. And his mom said, well, your dad's going to be home in a minute. He goes, no, no, no. Johnny fix it. <laughs> right. So, you know, he would, they would bring him stuff. He'd get home at four, four o'clock and they would bring him stuff. And, uh, you know, if he had to, he'd stay in the garage until he had everything that needed to be done that day done so that everybody was happy, whoever, and never asked anything for it. Um, I found out later in life, uh, he, he was also a member of national pistol and national rifle teams. He was a hell of a shot. And uh, I found out that talking to a friend of his from, uh, from the military, that when they lived in Germany for a while, when they, he was married, uh, Wayman Edcock was his name. When he was married to a, uh, a German girl over there who met eventually they brought over here, they didn't have anything to eat. So my dad would go out to a turkey shoot and just win the turkey shoot and bring them home stuff to eat. Right. And that's, that was the way he did. So oh, you're, you need something. All right. I'll find a way to get it. Right. And you know, that I aspire to be that I, I fall short, but I aspire to be that. Right. That's, that's, I think what we're supposed to do. Jake. Yeah. Um, my dad is, uh, quite the character, by the way, I'm, I'm going a little cliche today and I am drinking dad's old fashioned root beer. <laughs> so, nice. uh, we had it in the fridge and I said, I, I'm going to go with dad's root beer today since it's father's day. So is that not an quite, alcoholic root beer? It is not because, uh, you know, it's funny. You know, my son knows that I like beer and, you know, this is how close we are. He wants to do everything that I do. And, you know, after he lost his baseball championship, he said, man, I just really want a beer. And I looked at him and I said, what? So, I, you know, he was sad. So we had gone to Costco and I saw that they had this in a case there. So I got him. I walked in the door. I said, here, I got you a case of beer. <laughs> and he said, really? And I said, yeah, dad's root beer. <laughs> so uh, he had a couple left over. So I'm, I'm having one of his beers. <laughs> so cheers to dads. Um, yeah, my dad, uh, my dad's an interesting guy. You know, he, um, my dad was actually very artistic. Um, you know, he just never had that kind of person that would encourage him. My grandmother, uh, my grandfather, let me back up, was a World War II veteran, as uh, I've said before. 
a very hardworking guy. He worked three jobs. So uh, he was around, you know, uh, when he could be. Um, but my grandmother kind of was the forefront for my dad. And she uh, she's a sweet lady, but she I guess she had a rough streak when she was younger and my dad was younger because when I knew her, she was just a sweet old lady who made great biscuits and gravy. Uh, but, uh, my dad tells me stories otherwise. Um, so he never really, you know, he had this gift and he never really got to develop it. So he, he went to work on the railroad for Amtrak, uh, where he spent 34 years, just retired a few years ago. Um, and, uh, it was not a job that he enjoyed. You know, I could always tell that throughout my life. He, and that's probably the first thing I learned to admire about my dad was that he did something that he clearly didn't really enjoy doing, but he did it because it, it provided for his family uh, the best way that he knew how to provide. Um, just like you said, Dave, uh, that's, you know, I learned my work ethic, not only from watching him, but he, you know, and also like you, Brock, my dad handed me a lot of things and he said, figure it out. That was, my dad never sat me down and explained things to me. It was always here, you're young, you can figure it out. Um, and, and that was, you know, that was, uh, how I learned how to do things. And I credit it to my dad that I have the ability to figure things out because he forced me to do it. Um, but very, very, very hardworking guy, you know, and once I think I always say 17 is the age that I figured out that my dad, all he wanted to do was for me to see my full potential. Uh, once I figured that out, we became, you know, pretty much like best friends, you know, to this day, if we sit in a room, you'd think we were just two friends. Uh, I, you know, obviously I still respect him as my dad, but our relationship is super close. And so, uh, I would say the overarching thing that my dad taught me the, probably the, um, two things is if you're going to do something then do it with all that you have the ability to do, or don't do it at all either do it full capacity or don't bother. Um, and he always, uh, the number one thing he always told me was be your own man. That was the number one thing. Um, you know, he said, it's okay to do things that other people are doing, but you make decisions because you make them, uh, not because everyone else uh, makes them. He says, you be your own person and you make the decisions that you want to make. And so uh, those two things defined how I became a man, uh, you know, if you're going to choose to do something, do it full throttle and uh, whatever you choose to do, choose to do it because you want to do it, not because everybody else does or because, you know, somebody thinks it's cool, do it because you want to do it. So uh, that's what my dad, those are the two great gifts my dad gave me in life. And so I'm very, very excited. I get to go see him in the next couple of weeks here uh, to see both my parents, actually. So it's been a, it's been about a year since I've seen my dad. So it's too long and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. You know, the last 15, 16 months has been a unique situation. Uh, and it's been challenging for dads. It's been challenging for leadership. It's been challenging for moms. Moms. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I think we're a better society for what, what came. I know I'm better for what my dad's bestowed on me. Um, 
it's been fun tonight to sit next to Dave and listen to the stories. And, uh, you know, I know Dave's dad had a huge impact impact on him. And I've, I've always in our times of talk, you know, you can hear it, you know, and Jake, the same with you. It's, it's what, you know, parenting is about sharing good things and bad things and expectations of what the future should hold. And that's no different than leadership. And I think we're at a point where we'll closing comments and then I'll wrap it up. Well, I got a simple one, right? Everybody be safe. Have a good Father's Day. And, uh, you know, if you're construction, uh, you know, do that. Do that one little thing that that, you know, might keep you or somebody that you work with. Keep them safe. Uh, if you're in drilling, keep turning to the right and watch your crews. Uh, that's all you can do. I mean, there's a lot of, there's so many things in drilling that can go, that can go wrong fast, but, uh, you know, this was, this was a blast. I enjoy every time I get to talk to Jake, uh, getting to spend the, the day with one of my best friends in the industry, if not my best friend on in the industry, uh, something I haven't been able to do, uh, since, you know, 2019. So, uh, uh, this has been uh, a treat for us. And hopefully it was a, a treat for you to listen to. Jake? Yeah, uh, always a pleasure to get together with friends and talk, uh, whether it's leadership or drilling or construction, whatever it is. Uh, I'll talk about just about anything because I like to talk. Um, uh, you know, my closing thought would be just whether it's safety or whether it's, uh, you know, drilling or construction or leadership, whatever it is, um, you know, take a step back uh, this Father's Day and, you know, if you didn't have a dad in your life, think about that person who was the leading figure in your life and and think about, you know, take a step back and think about what you're contributing uh, as a leader and as a person and, and your role, whatever it is. Um, don't have to be the person in command, wherever you are in your organization, whatever you're doing, uh, whether you're volunteering, whether you're leading a construction team, whatever it is. Um, you know, or maybe you're just leading your buddies drinking at the bar this weekend, be that person who calls the Uber or has the plan to get home safe. Um, because that's just as much leadership as when you're on the job site. Um, other than that, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure, like I said, and, uh, go Knights go. <laughs> no, thanks dads. It's, you know, uh, I've learned a lot from great fathers and I've learned a lot from um, men and women that aren't parents, but it's about empathy and understanding what people need in order to be able to be successful. And that Sunday this week is father's day. So that's why we're celebrating that. But anybody who can look somebody in the eye or in the soul and realize that they're needing more and can do that is being being a good human and so that's uh that's everything we want to be with uh both podcasts so i'll just say this is a drillers drink last or leaders cast i'm uh i'm kidding obviously it's uh this is 
Brock Yordy and Dave Bowers with DrillerCast, and it's uh, Brock Yordy and Jake Fletcher with Leaders Drink Last. But then again, Dave is always involved and has been an influence of all of these. He's got something to say. All parts of the Brock Yordy Podcast Network. <laughs> uh, I never thought we would be in this world that we are in, that it would be this easy to produce things and that all of my favorite people in the world listen to it and uh, Jake's favorite people and Dave's favorite people. So, you know what? Absolutely. Like Dave said, be safe, make good choices. Jake said, be safe, you know, regardless of what you're doing. And I'm going to say the same thing. Be safe this weekend. We're a couple weeks from 4th of July. Again, a lot of crazy things happen. And uh, this has been Driller Cast and Leaders Drink Last crossover. And I'll just say it one last time Batman is always going to kick Tony Stark's ass. So maybe not Batfleck, but you know, if it's Michael <laughs> Keaton Batman versus Robert Downey Jr., Michael Keaton wins every day. If it's Val Kilmer versus Robbie Downey Jr., probably, probably yeah. not going to happen. Hey. Depends on which suit Iron Man's using. <laughs> it, it depends if it's uh, Val Kilmer, um, Doc Holliday. No, so we've went down a way bad rabbit hole. Everybody have a great Father's Day. Cheers to dads. Cheers to parents. Cheers to great leaders. Thank you, everybody.